Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It takes a lot of ingredients to fix or build a car. Like cooking, but without the frozen dinner, easy way out. eBay Motors has 122 million parts. It's always the right fitment, so you can follow any recipe to a T. Whether it's a vintage Italian coupe that's classic like grandma's meatballs or a German luxury car that's as complicated as Oma's Rouladen. To cook up something great in the garage, use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I'm your host, Rob Vera, joined by co-host Mark Mosey, who is... He's actually joining us today from his garden, and it looks delightful out there. Um, <laughs> it's a re- it's a very pleasant location to talk about a very unpleasant subject. <laughs> Rob, if you experienced sunlight as rarely as we did, you'd take every opportunity to do all of your tasks in the garden. Yeah. So that is pretty where my head is today. Well, and joining us as our third this week is the uh, is Matt Jones, who. Decided to uh, pull his his big you know star privilege card and just show up late and demand yet that we finish in sixty minutes. <sighs> I mean, I was I was literally one minute late, no, and I'd let no, you know, you let you know beforehand late. as well that I was going to be one minute late. I think that's pretty courteous. I think most people, if they're going to be five minutes late, won't even tell you. But I thought, you know, I'm going to be one minute late. I'll let them know. Yeah. What's the, what's the boundary of lateness whereby you have to actually vocalize it? I think it depends what you do. Like five minutes. Yeah. I mean, I, I show up on time to things, but I'm old school. So I, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Blue room standard time has always been an inside joke that I feel like we isn't so inside anymore. Cause we talk about it all the time. <laughs> I think, I think if you're like meeting someone at the pub or something, then if you're going to be 10 minutes, more than 10 minutes, you probably just send a message and say, yeah, and then you you kind of I do this with you quite a lot on purpose, Matt. Whereby I force you to buy the first round, so <laughs> you are ten minutes. Late, I'll let you know I'm going to be ten minutes late, and you'll say, "Sound what you have," and, and at that point, I start skipping down the road. I'm I'm always I don't know if you guys are like this, but I'm I get anxious about being the first one to show up. I don't like it because especially if we're meeting out at you know meeting out at a, a restaurant or a pub or something like that. And then yeah. I show up first because I'm punctual, like a sucker. And then I have to like 
get the table and then hold the table, especially if it's one of those outdoor settings where everyone's like, hey, is anyone, are you using these chairs? And I'm like, yeah, no, no, these are mine. Yes, more people are coming, I promise. And then of course my friends who said they were gonna be there uh, show up like 20, 30 minutes late. And then by then I'm stressed. And then I stress drink. And then it's just, it's a vicious cycle. It really is. <laughs> by then you're full of you. Oh, God. <laughs> I just can't. You know, it's so funny that that's become my 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 boozy brand with you guys is Jaeger of all things because there's nothing that I, I it only took one bad experience when I was in college uh, to turn me off. I didn't have I literally did not have Jaeger for decades uh, until I went to to Liverpool to visit you guys, <laughs> and I just at that point I was just sort of going with the flow at that point, pissing in car parks and. Uh, you know, drinking Jaeger uh, from strangers who are pouring it directly into my mouth. Uh, yeah, those were good times. One of my favorite things about you coming over is whatever task we are doing, there'll be that moment of realization pretty early on in in whatever the task is where you realize that we've managed to fit drinking into oh, it yeah. as part of it. That, <laughs> the, the, look of, the look of horror on your face at like 10.30 in the morning where your beer is just fantastic. Really, you know, really visiting you guys is sort of like what a vacation to New Orleans is over here for most people, where the expectation is, is that, it, it, you know, whenever you wake up, it's time to start drinking. And if you if you take more than 10 minutes after you've woken up and you don't have a drink in your hand, then you've already begun to waste part of the cultural experience of the trip. So I, 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 I joked with my friends when I got back, they were when when I got asked about, well, so what was it like? And I said, well, there's two things that really factored into play. I said, one, on average, uh, these dudes are like 10 years, if not maybe a little more younger than me. So I had that going against me. And two, I said, these guys are professional drinkers, you know, not top seated <laughs> amateurs, but like professional drinkers. And I had a grudging respect for it. But at the same time, I, I, I know that I know that in order to uh, keep up with you guys is only going to get harder as time goes by, because the next time I'm going to be there, I will be 42 years old. But Granted, I'm still younger than Les, so I feel like at least I'm not the oldest, <laughs> the oldest in the group. Feel appreciate. Yeah, that. like mm. it's so. I I always look at Les. And I'm like Les. I love you, man. You're always going to be older than me, and I need that, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> so, oh man. Okay, so I, look, you guys know that um, I. I generally abhor the idea of coming up with any sort of agenda or things to talk about for kickabout. It's sort of antithetical to the whole sweet spirit and notion of what kickabout is all about. Uh, but I figured we, we got Matt Jones on today. So clearly we're, we're not going to talk about anything fun. We can only talk about non-fun things with Matt on. So, Rightly um, so. You know, Rightly I mean, so. Felt times when we came on the show and cracked the Fair way. enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, no, but but in all, all seriousness, I I thought, hey, today's uh, this is that time right now where your Twitter feed is flooded with lots of season wrap up podcasts, and there's nothing wrong with those. I mean, there's a lot obviously to to discuss and diagnose, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what I wanted to do though, was to kind of avoid having the exact same conversation that everyone's had. Like, you know what guys, I'm, I don't know if you've heard, but our home form was not good enough against bad teams this season. We need a, we need a right back. Uh, you know, Hamas was injured too much. 
blah, blah, blah. We defend three things deeply as well. Apparently. What was that? Apparently, we set up quite deep when we're defending three Yeah, picks. and we don't create chances in our midfield. You know, some things never change. Like, man, our midfield sure is crap. Like, some of these things, I I, I feel like my, my edict with doing a podcast on Everton is to find a way to outmaneuver the boringness of pre- the predictable nature <laughs> of how we have the same shit to talk about every single summer. Uh, you know, Matt, I think you were the one who at one point just said, I think you said it best at one point, which is just like, you know, it's, it's, it's less that they're bad and it's that they're boring. It's that they're they're because they're bad in the same ways and some things just never mm-hmm. seem to change. But I look all that aside, I thought let's kind of, focus in on a few kind of niche subjects because I do think that this gives you an opportunity gives us an opportunity to to kind of weigh in a little bit more on the micro level if you will uh, instead of it being about Everton broadly I, I I want to begin to identify how we actually feel about certain people, uh, not only the manager, but but also players in the setup uh, at a level that is that that is a little more connected to maybe what we expected or didn't expect, and and, and so on and so forth. So, um, one of the interesting the interesting kind of threads that I've noticed over the last. Last little bit, it's certainly been creeping up as our form has has dipped and we really just began to fall off of a, I wouldn't even say fall off a cliff, but we've had this kind of precipitous decline from Boxing Day forward, um, has been people for the first time being clearly over the honeymoon period with Carlo Ancelotti and beginning to openly criticize and question. And I think that where what I want to do is 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 let's just dispense with all the normal caveats everyone knows his resume everyone knows he's the best manager in terms of skins on the wall that we've ever had at the club all all those things are, are absolutely true and i would even like to go ahead and get out get out in front of this and you guys may feel differently but i don't have any desire to move on from carlo right now i don't think he deserves to be sacked or anything crazy so let's just dispense with the terrorist rhetoric right now okay but what I do think is fair is to question his performance this season, his effectiveness, um, his potential ability to get the most out of a, a squad like this, which let's face it, Everton is going to probably always be the least talented group of players he's ever going to manage. Um, and I do think that uh, we were in our group, a group chat earlier and uh, Jack Carlisle said something I thought was really astute, which is, when we were talking about someone's criticism of Carlo online, you got a lot of the same kind of predictable responses of, uh, you know, blank from Kirkby thinks he knows more than Carlo, you know? And he said, he's like, and Jack made the point that those kinds of responses are pretty, pretty lazy and they sort of avoid the subject. Like we all know none of us have what have done what Carlo Ancelotti has done, but I also still think it's fair to criticize uh, the overall performance. And so that's that's kind of where I want to start. I'm going to mediate this because, um, you know, I can add my own thoughts as we go, but I, I wanted to start off right there. And Matt, I want to start with you. Carlo Ancelotti's performance this season was blank. Okay. Okay. Is that is that sufficient? Sure. Yeah, no. Tell me what you... I think you've given the big goal play and sort of come in and just said, you know... It, it was nice. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think yeah, sort of going with what you said there, Rob, there is a, 
a sort of tendency for people to go, this fella's the greatest manager we've ever got. Nothing's his fault. And in the same camp, I've, you know, there's, there's a, a group of people that sort of say that, you know, look at how bad we played at home. This is entirely his fault. And as usual, it probably falls somewhere between the middle. I think, I think what I'd say is probably we, we've not got the world clash version of Carlo Angelotti. I'd say, I think that our, there are aspects of his management which have been a little bit concerned about this year, which I think you know some of the best managers in the world. That I think a lot of people still put him in that bracket, probably so. But I think probably, yeah, I've, I've been a little bit underwhelmed, I'd say, by by some of the the games Everton have played. And you know, you can look at the away form and the way we've been set up in some of those games, and the way in which he's reduced a lot of those matches to fine margins, in which Everton have, have ultimately come out on top in, in in some big games. And I think for big games where you've known, that's probably the best way to go about getting a result for us. But I think what I'd want, what I'd sort of want from this season, I, I could have taken 60, what did we get in the end? 59 points? 59. Yeah. I could have taken around the, could have taken around the 60 point margin and 10th place. If it sort of felt like it was a team on the up and a team moving forward and a team that was sort of, not not having a, a dead clear identity because that's never really been the manager's way, but having a bit more of an idea of what they are themselves mm. all about. Mm. And I don't think we've really got that. Away from home, they have, but it's very negative, very fine margin brand of football, mm. like I said. But there are aspects of the team and it's, it's the way in which when the onus is on them to play any kind of aggressive front foot football that they are just... It's not. It's not even that they don't do it. It just looks like they're incapable of doing it. They're yeah. incapable of putting sharp passing patterns together. They're incapable of playing a high line. They're incapable of pressing well as a unit. They're incapable of keeping teams penned in and putting them under pressure. Honestly, in recent weeks and months, can you remember a time where Everton were playing a home game and we had a team penned in for five minutes no. and they were hacking it clear? And we were recycling the ball and getting it wide and, you know, creating a half chance. And, you know, their defender hacks it clear again and we win it back. And, you, you know, we keep going and going and you get that momentum building. Mm. And obviously the, the fans not being there is, is part of that. But I can't remember Everton doing that ever. Mm. Like, really, since those... And I mean, even the Brighton game, which you refer to back in the opening weeks of the season, that was a game where Everton had less of the ball. So a lot of that was based on fast transitions and winning it back and, and going. It wasn't being on the front foot and, and keeping teams penned back who don't really want the ball. And I think mm-hmm. that's sort of where I'm, I'm concerned and where I'd want to see a little bit more from them. Granted, the squad isn't ideal, but I think we've sort of reached the point now where people are maybe saying the squad is a bit worse than it is because they're so in favour of the manager and the, the camp have want to see him do well. So there's maybe a bit of over-exaggeration in regards to how bad some of these lads are. I mean, a lot of them are great and they've let Everton down time and time again, but Everton have probably got about the the eighth-best squad in the league, I'd say. Yeah. You know, round about there. Um, So you could say, you know, in regards to our finishing position, we're, you know, probably under par, if not par, if you're being very generous. But what I sort of wanted was to feel as though this was a team moving forward and it sort of feels as though from the opening day at Tottenham, where they probably put in the best performance of the season, and, you know, it's not been totally linear, but it feels as though gradually over the course of the campaign that they've got they've gone from a point where they were played really well on that opening day, were balanced, like they had an idea of how they were going to go about it, to that final day against Manchester City, where it was a case of what the hell is this, lads? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's not been a linear decline, but I think overall, for the course of the season, Everton have probably got worse. And 
that is a little bit worrying going into the summer and going into next season. Well, and and that's where I'm. I think I'm most concerned because we look. There's there's all these weird camps online, as there tends to be with with us on Twitter. I know, but um, there's a there's a really weird Yerry Mina camp that some people are in, and just, you know, I, just won't have anything bad said about him. At you all. know what? And my camp has grown, Matt Jones. My camp has grown. You got more people who get it now. And I, I look, this is not about like notice, Mark. That by the way, we do this bit where we're like, how long until Yuri Mina gets brought up in, in the kickabout? I didn't bring up Yuri Mina. Okay, no, I just no want to point out that it was Matt Jones. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think what's most concerning to me, like there are these factions right now that are arguing about whether fifty nine points was actually pretty good compared to what we would have expected. Don't pay attention to the placement. Just look at the point. And I, I I find that argument to be disingenuous just because, you know, as much as everyone will say in any given season, well, this many points ought to be this good or it may not be this good, you know, whatever. Ultimately, the placement is the best reflection of you versus the rest of the league within its proper context. And that proper context is each side playing each other home and away. And it's that's the whole point of it being this very balanced, scheduled competition. But I think where I'm most dis- most concerned, Matt, to your point, is that um, we, we've talked about that Spurs performance arguably as their best performance of the season. And, you know, this wasn't – you can, you can sort of uh, explain away the first partial season of Carlo Ancelotti – but it is a it's kind of concerning to me to see that he's been here for what we say like 12 to 14 now about 14 15 months whatever it is um and we're more than that, 18 yeah, okay. came in yeah. I've joined the January sorry December 2019 yeah it's been a while so i'm very concerned with the fact that we don't we we seem to have we seem to get better for a period and now it seems like we've just gone backwards. And what I don't fully understand is how we looked the way we looked the first two months of the season. So at the very minimum, you can argue that, Hey, that's in us somewhere, but why did we just suddenly stop being able to play that way at all? Well, you can say injury, which I think is the easy, the easiest explanation, but I don't totally totally buy it. I think that at some point we got figured out more than anything else. And we don't have the players to be on the front foot, but we also don't have enough speed and speed to be a good counterattacking side. And so we're just this mushy team. And I, I, I just am concerned though, having said all of those things, if you've got a squad that you look at and you say, we're the seventh or eighth best squad in the premier league, Surely the difference between us and the other teams in that mix is that we have Carlo fucking Ancelotti and they don't. So when mm. we then finish 10th from that, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, I found this season's performance from him disappointing from the standpoint that he has given us, you know, he gets credit for these away wins away and, you know, bunny quotes or whatever, but really forget the away home thing. It's more of just that we beat good quality sides this season, but the fact that we struggled and lost, not just draw points, but lost 
to these abject sides to me is yes, you can try and make it black and white and say, well, it's all the players or it's all the manager. But to me, it's it's a mix of both things. A manager is greater than the sum of his tactics and formations. A manager ultimately is a motivator, a psychiatrist, all these things. He is the person who is tasked with pushing buttons. And it just felt like whatever... I don't subscribe to this theory that Ancelotti wasn't trying. I just think that whatever buttons he was trying to push, they didn't work. And I don't know why they didn't work, but if it doesn't get better than it was this season, I don't see why we should have any expectation moving forward of us being better. Um, Mark, what do you make of, you know, Carlo Ancelotti's uh, season at Everton was blank. What, what what would you say? Um, Well, you've both mentioned the word concern. At times, and I think it, it's it's fine to say that I found the entire season quite worrying, um, and I'd probably label Carlo Ancelotti's performance as that as well. Um, the, I think the one thing that I didn't expect to see is that, I mean, we, we've quite rightly said that Everton probably are, you know, a generous seven four eighth in terms of strength of, of quality in this league. Um, I absolutely echo your sentiments, Robin, that if, if that is the case, then you're surely just looking at an Everton team going out and spending as much money as they possibly can every single season to get the highest quality or calibre and in inverted commas players that are available and just kind of not adding anything in terms of tactical ability or how you structure those players on the pitch. That is essentially why you go out and buy good managers to to propel your team to levels beyond the the calibre of the players that we have. And yes, you, you need the, the good quality footballers at the club. And uh, we have added in those areas. And I think as, as much as I find Carlo Ancelotti's performance worrying at times, what's probably concerned me to an equal level is the performance of the new players that we've brought in. Um, I, I, I primarily label that at the midfield. That um, There are definitely periods of the season and individual games where it all started to make sense. The one that I always think about is Leicester away from home, um, where obviously Alain goes off um, in the first half, but certainly that game and the games leading up to that one, it it all seemed to be having a reasonable plan behind it. Um, A little bit of that was, was out of circumstance in terms of Luca Dean not being fit to play and, and obviously that kind of multiple centre-back formation that we had to go with but I feel like I'm still left with more questions than answers and I always thought that 18 months down the line of having Carlo Ancelotti here as you've both alluded to we'd start to see some form of linear progression I mean I had Mike Asher on one of the post-match shows recently talk about how you'd much rather be a Leeds United fan in this situation because yes they fit above us which I mean, anything between 8th and 15th means absolutely nothing, but you, you, you at least see an identity to your team. And as much as it may not work every weekend, and they're still in that kind of Everton rut that we were in for years, whereby every time they go south of Birmingham, they get their arse handed to them. But as much as we've managed to move out of that situation this season, at least with them and with their manager, and I'm not saying we'd, we'd swap managers or swap any individual players, but you crave that level of vision at your team. And I think it, it's something that 
yes, generally, I'd say we don't have that at the moment. Um, in each individual game, we don't have that. If an Everton team goes behind, I, I, I stereotypically don't know how that team reacts. I don't know what Everton getting back into a game looks like. Obviously, we, we don't know what an Everton team controlling possession and looking comfortable on the front foot looks like because that's not something that we've seen in, in so long. And I think that I feel like at, at this point now, 18 months on, I'd, I'd at least have a little bit more fire in my belly to talk about this team if I felt like we'd gone backwards. And to to Matt's earlier point and to the point that you alluded to, Rob, I think we've just we've just remained boringly static yeah. for the last few months. There's been there's been no progression. We're we're absolutely no way worse than we were. We'll probably going into this season see a little bit more balance in terms of our, our results. We probably won't go and get some great results with clean sheets away from home. We'll beat a few more lesser teams at home in the league. But where where we see that propulsion from seventh or eighth or God forbid tenth up until fourth and fifth, I, I don't really see where that comes from yeah. at the moment. Um part of me I mean, so much has been alluded to in the last couple of weeks about Everton having another big summer and this being the eternal phrase that we use with this team. <laughs> big summer, Everton, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's been so many seasons now where in the back of my mind, as, as much as we're not playing football manager here and we're not going to see wholesale changes, part of me thinks that we need something pretty massive to happen in terms of an outgoing before we can kind of restart this whole mm. thing. And I think if, if we were to totally hit the restart button, as much as none of us want to go down that route in terms of totally abandoning any principle that we've had in recent years, there is that point now in May 2021 where you think, well, where where has it actually got us? We're, we, we, I don't really see any form of foundation or building blocks that we are now going to go and act on in the summer. If in Carlo Ancelotti or Marcel Brand's shoes, you were to totally rip the script up and go and sell Richarlison or, I, I mean, Calvert-Lewin has been one of the names. You, you, you get my yeah. point. If we were to go and really make a, a, a dangerous outgoing move in the transfer window, I, I can't hand on heart say now that it would really damage us to the point where we'd be throwing away the last couple of years of progress because visually there, there really isn't any. And that's, that's not me saying that we want those things to happen because without people like Richarlison from a couple of years ago or certainly from Dominic Calvert-Lewin this season, we'd be, we'd be in an even more concerning position than we are at the moment. But I think, I think we're, we're just, we're ready for something that massive to happen. Um, I, I don't want it to be that reactive, and, and that definitely would be. Um, but I, I can't hand on heart now see where this is going. Um, massive, massive pressure on Marcel Brands going into this summer because recruitment is, if, if we're saying that the, the strength of the squad is ultimately the merit of where you finish in this league, if Carlo Ancelotti is not able to propel us those sort of two or three positions, then Marcel Brands' work with the checkbook is everything. Mm. Um, so certainly, certainly uh, we all know the obvious phrase that is the fact that there's a huge summer ahead for this football club, but um, it, it, it's a little bit, Matt used the word un, underwhelming. Um, his performance for me has just been disheartening because everything that we we knew was to come, yes, there's all sorts of, of COVID-related caveats that we have to, to hold against this lad, but 
there's been enough time there now. Um, we we all hailed the progress that 12 months in a pandemic-induced Everton, how far we come in that time and, and that the stresses that have been put on every football team up and down the country and how well Ancelotti had done in that time. I, I think that time's up now. I think that the, the patience and, and all of the the loopholes and asterisks that you put on football in general, that's out the window. And, and that's quite that's quite frankly how ruthless sport is. Um, it, the time for performing. I, I know that all of us are in the same situation now whereby I think universally we accept that Carlo Ancelotti is still a gift for this football club and, and there's no doubt in my mind that he is the man to lead us into this into this forthcoming season. But if we are all in exactly the same situation in 12 months' time, then I think that the ticking time bomb that is Everton's craving for success will ultimately raise massive, massive questions against him. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's there's... There's a real sense of, and, and we talked about this, Matt. Just uh, I, I sort of threw this out there several weeks ago on the on the kickabout, it, it, almost like a throwaway line. But I, I but I, I I was just trying to I think at the time, Mark, I called it a thought exercise, which is even if we like certain players, they're productive for us. And I would still argue, by the way, that we still have more quality sellable pieces right now than we did a few years ago. I mean, those things are just absolutely true. But I do wonder, to Mark's point, it's like if you've got these things, even these 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 assets that you really like, but it's still getting you mid table, then what is it? What's it all for? And and is in the question I, I asked a few weeks ago, which is was would you consider selling a part you had not anticipated selling in order to be in, in order to just shake things up because the mix and, and again you have to be careful to not just say change for change's sake either but at the same time i i don't know i i feel like there's just something in terms of how these you know how there are some squads like Leeds, i think falls into this they i think in a lot of ways they're greater than the sum of their parts because of the way they play together Whereas we are less than the sum of our parts. I think our parts are actually, there's some really, you can make arguments for how attractive a lot of our parts are, but they don't seem to, outside of their own kind of individual performances at times, play that well together. And I don't get, I don't know why that is. I don't know why we looked the way we looked early on in the season and 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 you, we just sort of lost that mojo. Uh, I don't know why, yeah. and I don't know how you get it back. I don't have a lot of really easy well, answers for that. I think I, I just sort of look at that those those first few weeks of last season and say we ultimately had a a world class talent who was not necessarily fit but fresh and rested, and he was tearing it up. And when you've yeah. got that, you, your football goes to a, a different level. And when you can revolve everything around that player who's playing well, then the whole team's lifted. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what's become apparent over the course of the season is that, you know, either, as you said, Rob, teams figured out the way we were playing. Teams started attacking down our right-hand side because Rodriguez couldn't get back. And we had to try and change the way he played. He got injuries, he got tired, he got fatigued infamously towards the end of the season. And that that's why I don't think we played that well. And, you know, we might have, might have a situation... Probably won't actually because he's going to be in the Cup of America. But if he comes back after a few weeks off to start the next season and he's well rested, we might see the same again. But Maybe. it's not Maybe. sustainable because his fitness isn't sustainable, right. unfortunately. And that, that that's sort of just the way it is. But I, I, I think 
sort of answering your other question probably in two different ways. Yes, we should be open to selling key assets because that's just the way football works. That is the nature of the food chain. And I've said this so many times on the Blue Room down the years, unless you're one of two or three football clubs on this planet, you will have somebody high up the food chain who is capable of getting your best players off you. 100%. But would I would I be looking to sell any of them this summer? No. Probably not, because the thought of that money in the hands of this recruitment team is terrifying. <laughs> well, and, and, and like, the other thing too is even if you did trust this recruitment team you know, implicitly, I, I'm still convinced that because of the economic climate that this is a this is frankly a buyer's market and not a seller's market. And I don't think you're gonna get coming off of a disappointing season, for instance. Like let's just throw that out there. You let's just say you wanted to flip Richarlison. You're not gonna get what you think you're gonna get for him. Like I, I still as as much as it'll hurt more, because like right now it would hurt less to sell Richarlison coming off a season like this. I would rather sell him when it would hurt more because we're going to get the best value out of him at that point. I want him to be fit and firing. I want him to have a bounce back season next season. And and if you're going to have to sell at that point, that's when I would rather sell for the good of the club. But I, I think there is also something to discussions that I know you've had, Matt, on other pods about. I mean, and really, this is not a new topic, uh, but but this is sort of the open question or the kind of uh, shady nature. Shady is maybe the wrong word, but maybe the the kind of unclear nature of how decisions are ultimately made. The fact that you you have multiple people making selections for the for the squad, and then. Uh, trying to to pin success or failure of those moves on each individual person creates factionalism. It does. I mean, there's a lot of people who will say, "Well, this is a Marcel Brand." Well, that's because there's factions, Rob, isn't there? That's because there's factions who brings these players yeah, in. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, it's it's so it's so obvious that there are different people who want different players, yeah. and you know, I think it's you know, it's it's something that I think we've spoken about. We spoke about at the start of the season, going, "Well, maybe this is something that you know that they might get right." And that brand's bringing the younger players in going forward. You have Ancelotti bringing in the players for for here and now, but ultimately, it's you know, it's not linear, is it? You sort of want one person to have a, a long term view of the football club and making the signings on, on that basis. And I think when you've got you know different people with different ideas and how they want the team to play, what type of footballers they want to bring in. You know, it never never really works, does it? Um, As much as you can say that that it can't. You can have multiple people as part of an overall kind of organizational or club-based approach of recruitment and say, look, Carlo and Marcel and, you know, there's a few people that put their heads together to make decisions, but that only works if both people are in agreement about what the profile or type of player they're looking for is. And that's, it, it, it is sort of this thing where, and, and we're, we're about to get on to the next question about disappointing players, where I think we've got plenty of candidates here. I, I, I think that when I look at the signings last summer, but specifically thinking about James and Allen and Decore. I was for these moves because a the midfield was so abject that you needed an injection of quality. B I felt like hey we're we're in that kind of eighth to tenth range in the table. I don't mind mixing this very young side that we had uh, with some experienced players who have won things. And I don't I kind of reject the notion that if they've ever won somewhere else, they'll come to Everton and not care. I mean that does happen clearly, but I don't think that that's 
the way you have you, you must look at it every time. The problem, though, and the big flaw and what we saw fail with this is that the risk you run. And I kind of said, I'm well, I'm open to taking this risk uh, because I think the upside is 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 pretty good. The downside is, is what if these players miss significant time? And I'll be damned. Decore, I almost give a pass on because his was not the sort of, quote, injury prone type of injury that you associate he broke, he broke a foot, right? I mean, those, you know, that's, you know, shit happens, right? But man, I I expected Hamas to miss games, but I will be honest, I don't think I thought he'd miss this many. And Allen, boy, I, <laughs> Allen missed a ton of time this season. And when he did play, I don't think that I see what a lot of people see. And, and I, I, I had, I think I, I, I saw on the YouTube and in the kind of reading the old articles about Alan, about I, I get the idea of Alan, but I don't think the reality and the idea of Alan are the same thing right now. So um, let's, let's just go ahead and go there, Mark. I'm going to go to you first on this. Um, when, when we talk about disappointing players, I, I think that you can, I almost was afraid to put this out there to the wider audience. Cause I'm, you know, I got the, I was going to get the same reaction that YouTube jerk offs gave me when I put this out there, which is like, shite, they're all terrible, blah, blah, blah. No. And I'm just kidding. I love you guys. But, um, but yes, yes, they're all disappointing. They're all terrible. But I, I really am serious about, about this question, which is, cause I don't think it's one player, but I do think you can make some arguments for a few that really were distinct disappointments. Now to me, the most obvious answer is for Charleston because so much was not only expected of him, but we put ourselves in a position as a squad and our setup to depend on him. We depended on his goals and his performances, and we didn't get enough of that this season uh, as our sparse goal differential and, and things like that will, will bear out. But to me, I think Allen falls into that category for me. I just, I from what I thought we were getting, and I know he's on a shorter term deal and it's not going to kill the club to have signed him, but I'm, I'm a little disappointed given how injury prone he was. Um, my other one is the one that I, I don't want to fly under the radar, but because I think that given what the way we talked about him <clears throat> coming into, you know, at, at points last season or, you know, coming into the season, I, look, if you if you can look at Mason Holgate and think he has done anything but regress, and you can you can give me all of the qualifiers about what position he played in or whatever, I'm sorry. Even when he played center half, he didn't look that convincing to me. Um, whereas I look at someone like Ben Godfrey, and you could say, well, with Ben Godfrey, are we going to be having the same conversation about him in 12 months? I, I don't think so, and here's why: with Ben Godfrey, he has such a physical profile. He has such speed and he's such a, you know, he's got certain characteristics that just jump out of the screen on you. Uh, whereas Mason Holgate always just was like, all right, he's, he's playing solid. He's playing well or whatever. But suddenly Mason Holgate this season, his, his, to use an expression we use over here, his mouth wrote a lot of checks that his ass couldn't cash. You know what I mean? Like he was, he talks a lot. He talks a good game. But I've never. But this was the first season where I looked at him and said, "You know what? That guy sure does look like a lightweight five foot eleven center half. And unless he is exceptionally fast or skilled or whatever, 
I'm going to need to understand better what the argument is for him. And I think he really took some steps back. Now, I'm not advocating we, quote, get rid. I mean, he's on favorable terms or what have you. But I would say that he is clear. He is so clearly the fourth best center half. And if you brought Brant, you know, Branthwaite back uh, this summer, I'd rather see, frankly, him stay with the club more than Mason Holgate. But those those are kind of my obvious choices. Mark, uh, the most disappointing this uh, player this season was Richarlison by a country mile. Okay. Um, I. I don't want to use the word excuses, but I think most other people that you've mentioned probably have a little bit of an excuse, uh, and that's not that's not to defend them. That it's not something that they should be using to defend their own performance. But I think when you talk about people like Hammers and Alan and Decore and all of these people, there's obviously there's obviously a very loose reason that you could attribute to them playing poorly this season. Um, to touch on your point with Hammers, I mean, how many games was he involved in this season? It ended up being about 25, 26? It was 21 or 22. Like, it was low. I, I would have I would have probably bargained for mid-20s. Um, yeah, mid-21 so, starts, 23 appearances. Okay. As, much, as much as, obviously, that's been a it's been a big focus at the back end of the season for, for a lot of obvious reasons, I, I'm, not, I'm not coming out of this season feel like I've been cheated by him. Um, because I, I feel like as much as the lazy phrase is, what did you expect from this guy? That Well, this, prob- this probably is what I expected in terms of ability to see him on a, on a frequent basis. Um, Alan, obviously, I mean, on the back of the Man City game, the thing that annoyed me most is that he, he avoids all blame because he looks great in a black kit <laughs> with black boots. Um, if anyone else tells me that on the back of that game, I swear to God. <laughs> that mustache is, is undefeated, though. I'll give him that. Oh, he looks like fucking Magnum PI from the 80s, like Tom Selleck. It's great. Could not give less of a shit what <laughs> Evan looked like in the kit. I'd, I'd rather just have points if that's fine. Um, with, with Alan, I, I, I totally get it when people defend him. And I also get it when people say, like yourself, Rob, that they don't really see what the idea is with this guy. I've kind of held off a little bit on him because I think there's a pretty good chance that next season he's really important for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm probably... America, do we know? Is he with Brazil? I don't think so. Okay, good. Don't think good. So. Need, uh, if anyone needs time off, it's him. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, obviously a, obviously a bonus as far as we're concerned. But I, I, I honestly think, and, and most of this is through hope rather than expectation but I, I think he could be really important for that midfield and I think when we when we bought him in at various times when we've discussed his performance this season I think you've always got to remember that not only was he coming into the new country in the new league and all of those sort of transfer cliches that you use but he was being brought into a side not only to be consistently involved on a weekly basis which he would have expected but we kind of put it on him quite early that he was going to be the leader of a Premier League midfield uh, and one at a club that has consistently faltered over the last few seasons. Um, we, we relied on this connection that he supposedly has with Ancelotti to be the driving force of this entire team. And at times we saw it. Um, I, I referenced obviously those few games around Christmas earlier in the season, but I think next season we'll see that with a lot greater consistency. Um Abdi Decore probably fits a little bit into that mold of being at times disappointing. Really? Um, 
all all of the usual excuses of of being a new team. But man, when he was fun. good though for a while, he was our player of the season until he got hurt. I felt like I thought I felt like that's when we fell off a cliff. And I'm not saying he was perfect. Uh, he had some disappointing performances, but I, I mean, I see what you're saying. It's just kind of a surprise one to hear. He looked nowhere near fit, did he? When he came, no, he rushed back. Absolutely rushed back. The fact that we've seen him be as important as he was at times makes him fit into the disappointing category for me. Um, Brett, do you know what? If he if he had a worse, if he didn't quite hit those peaks at, at very infrequent moments of the season, I probably wouldn't have had that taster of what he can offer, um, and I probably wouldn't be as disappointed. It, it's a bit of a catch twenty two system. Um, Mason Holgate can't disagree with anything you've said about him, Robbie. He he gives me the aura of a cocky popular kid in school who hits a point where like, everyone around him hits some form of footballing puberty and um, they, they, they all they all develop this level of maturity and kind of leave him behind and it, it does very much have that feeling i know you mentioned about the can we call this episode kind of- footballing pu- puberty by the way i just want to get that down we'll see if matt, we'll That's see if matt, matt we'll consult with matt later on that go ahead <laughs> with, with with someone like godfrey I mean, I, I asked the question a couple of weeks ago is, are, are we going to have all of these same feelings and questions about him in 12 months' time? Um, a, a little bit more with expectation this time, I would say probably not because you mentioned about the the physical prowess and, you know, th- there is that kind of, that typical English man at the back that he offers that Mason Holgate probably never threatened to offer even in his in his greatest spells but I think the fact that what I like about him is is his leadership and his verbal ability on the pitch and obviously this kind of intertwines into your last question Rob but his ability to bollock people mid-game is as important as it is to be able to put a big tackle in or to win big headers at the back because most footballers can play football most defenders can defend. They can head the ball. <laughs> Most footballers can play football. That's our title of the show. <laughs> I, I, I've just thought about Everton's midfield, and I'll take it all back. But most. Most midfielders can keep the ball. They can right. play passes. Strikers can hit, can hit a shot on target. And I think what separates the elite players from most of the Premier League players, and I would probably throw most of Everton's players into that kind of eclectic bundle of just standard footballers is that they've got that that integrity of character and that leadership that someone like Ben Godfrey clearly oozes. I mean, you just, you know, even as Evertonians now, where we've only seen him for, what, 35 games, we probably got out of him this season, is that the level of security and assuredness that you feel about watching him represent this team just puts you at ease straight away. And there's something about every time a player gets on the ball and whether they whether they run directly at him or shift it round to his right-hand side or whatever it may be, there's just something about him whereby, yes, he's, he's a good defender, but mentally there's absolutely no way that someone passes him or he doesn't get back at them or if that ball comes into the box he doesn't throw his entire body at it and I know that these are very cliche things to label defenders with but that that sort of intelligence of play that he has and that integrity of character that he has is totally uncoachable um, with, with someone like Mason Holgate he's a very gifted footballer and I've bigged him up on this podcast in the past because 
I think he is relatively intelligent on the ball. He is clearly, in terms of being able to play a pass or, or to move into midfield, as we've seen him do on countless occasions, he, he is a quality footballer. But the thing that will separate Ben Godfrey being called up to Euro 2020 or future England games or, or being included in, in any of Everton's back fours and separating that from someone like a Mason Holgate is just that level of confidence and trust that you can have in the man as opposed to footballer. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's something that, to his credit, Carlo Ancelotti picked up on very early. And I think it would have been a very easy move for him to consistently go with you know Keenan and Mina and Holgate in the middle and and let's kind of bring in this championship young defender and try and blood him in the 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 thing I liked about Ben Godfrey's entire season this year is the fact that he was given the opportunity when it was clearly warranted Mm -hmm. Rob so to totally go back to your bloody question (laughs) I was gonna Richarlison Richarlison was utterly crap this year Um, (laughs) there was there was Matt's got to weigh in on this too by the way (laughs) I think the, the, there's so many things I could touch about Richarlison on it. It's a Matt's credit before he speaks yeah. about him. He's clearly not a wide player. Right. And the, 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 one of the most disappointing things with him this year is that I realise that the more he is in possession and the more that he is involved in Everton's build of play, the worse this team looks. And that, that, that can't be the case for one of your, in inverted commas, best players. The second thing that really disheartened me about him this season was that for so many games this year and and, and for for every season that he's been here, we said that this guy is going to show his worth when we put him up top in front of goal. Um, He's a a clinical striker. He's going to crave that sort of, not necessarily the out-and-out poacher, but just that ability to find the net when he's within the yards of the 18-yard box. That that's all going to make sense when he's given that opportunity. We've had that in abundance this year. We, we've seen him operate centrally so often. And yes, we haven't seen the goal return. I think his, his shots on goal, I haven't got the stats in front of me, but I'm, I'm struggling to think of many glaring opportunities in the second half of the season that he's been able to craft either for himself or from other players. And, and maybe the rest of the team take a little bit of the blame for that. But I think the the main issue that I had probably stemmed just before Christmas in the in the Chelsea game that me and Matt went to see, and the the attitude and immaturity and petulance that we have always associated with this fella are as rife now as they ever were when we signed him a few years ago. Um, and you you can talk about that being part of his character and and part of the the fire that Richarlison has. And when we see him in front of fans, I absolutely know that he's going to be a different player because he thrives on that energy. But should it be like that? If we're talking about a player who we would talk about one of the greatest football teams. I don't give a shit about any of that stuff. That's just me. I just don't. (laughs) Strip it all back. All of this, you know. (laughs) And I'm not taking it away. His affinity for the club and the fans is, it's it's fantastic. Um, we all buy into it massively, but if Everton finished tenth in the league, I actually don't give yeah, a shit. No, totally. I, we need that lad to perform, and, and he just hasn't this yeah. year. No, I look. That's the look. That's the thing is, I think sometimes we we cast aspersions based on these 
weird things we have about, well, he doesn't look happy enough or he's looking a little like that. You know, that stuff is great. You know, when you're scoring goals, it's, Hey, he's got a chip on his shoulder and in that cool, he's kind of edgy. But when you're not scoring goals, it's a bad attitude. And I, I, I just, uh, I think that is who he is. I just, I'm just putting his failures down to his complete lack of a lack of performance this season, more than it is about any character traits or personality traits that I'm going to kind of armchair diagnosis as a psychologist here. But just Matt, I, I want to make sure you get a chance to answer this question as well. well Go ahead. Just so, just so you've said there, something I was thinking about when Moses is speaking, and it's, I think the, the things that we speak about these players sometimes, and you know, we've done it with Holgate and Richarlison there. The, the, some of the, the characteristics we've been looking at now and going, don't necessarily like that. The things 12 months ago, we were sort of lauding. Yeah. These yeah. lads for, yeah. you know, everyone. If, if we take it up, if we put a poll on the, the Blue Room Twitter account at the end of last season, I said, dude, you want the next Everton captain to be? I reckon 75% of a four man poll would have been Mason Holgate. Yeah. And he would have cited his attitude, you know, <laughs> that arrogance. That, 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 no, we, back a year ago, we were saying it's it's not arrogance, it's a bit of snide. Yeah. You know, it's it's not, you know, it's not arrogance, it's belief in himself, it's confidence. And I think that these things, you know, I, I remember at the start of a couple of seasons ago when Fabio Delph was a new player and he actually screamed out during a game, why is everyone so shit? And because he was a new player, everyone was like, this is great. He's a leader. He's, tell- he's telling us all what we need to hear. And actually, you look back on it now and go, well, that was just a bit stupid. Yeah. That's not that's not leadership. It's just someone being a bit petulant yeah. and, a bit, and a bit daft. So I think sometimes we, we do fill in the, the gaps a little bit um, based on how the team's performing. And we look at some of the qualities. And I, I've, got, I've got a bit of sympathy of Holgate. I think he's not someone I'd be willing to, to write off yet. I think the, it, it feels like it's hard to play as a defender in a Carlo Ancelotti setup because every single week the system changes yeah. and the players within it change as well. And, you know, listen, it, it could be a case of adapt or die when it comes to, it comes to that, um, when it comes to Ancelotti, but we'll have to wait and see. But I sort of feel as though, like any defender with a settled partner and a settled set, setup, um, he'd be a lot better. And there'll be people who completely disagree with that because I feel as though a lot of people have checked out on him this season and are willing to write the lad off. But um, I think we've seen him at Everton in the past, where it looked as though he was totally surplus to requirements. He was shipped out on loan to West Brom, and everyone thought, that's it, he's probably never going to make it for us. And then yeah. the season after he came back and was was one of our best players of the campaign. So he's bounced back before. Um, I think he could bounce back again. I agree with everything most said on Richarlison as well. Uh, the one I'll probably mention, want to mention, and I didn't really expect it to work out for him at Everton, but this season just confirmed it definitely isn't going to work out for him at Everton. That's Alex Iwobi. Yeah. Um, just to play it. Always a little bit, because I, yeah. I feel like you see it every once in a while, and it's just just not enough. Yeah. I think he, we, in his first season, we did get glimpses. Um, we had a little glimpse at right wing back as well, where it looked like he might be able to do something and create a bit of a niche for himself, but... He's not good enough to start every week. He's not good enough coming off the bench to make a regular impact. And when he does get his opportunities, he doesn't seize them. And he's not, he just doesn't really seem like the, the right sort of, I don't know, fit for the football club. Um, you know, I think he just said I, fits I, with Andre Gomez as well, by the way. Yeah, I, I think Gomez is maybe a little bit different because he's obviously been embraced previously and he's, yeah. he's had highs with us. But since. Iwobi looks like a player who was uh, who was rushed through as a signing without any real plan of what to do with. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's sort of what happened, and that's where where he is now. You know, we, we've got this player who, when he came from Arsenal, you know, all the all the people you spoke to and watched him every week said, you know, there's something there, 
but he just needs a consistent run in a consistent position and he might be able to find it. And he's ultimately had none of that at Everton. You know, he's, you know, if someone had said when he came, he's going to be playing right wing back for you yeah. at points next season, lads. Um, that wouldn't yeah. bode well. But, um, you know, in a season where we've had no wingers for him to knock, I think he started 17 games for us a season, came off the bench 13 times in the league, scored one goal. You know, that's, it's just, just really not nice good enough goal. for a forward. Really nice goal. It was a really nice goal, <laughs> but um, it's just, just, just not good enough, isn't it? No, um, it's not. But, you, know, I, I, you know, he seems, seems like a, a good lad. Has done a few eye-catching things, but just miles and miles and miles away from being consistent enough to be a player for us. So I'll probably go with, with a Wobi for mine, just to be a bit different. Really, no, I hadn't thought about a Wobi, but I think that's a testament to how much he's just been completely forgotten about on some level as well. Just to, just to touch on Awobi, I think something that we've we've classically said over the last 10 years about Everton and there being a danger of signing these players from better teams um, and not necessarily having that that hunger and, you know, getting the, the fallouts from Manchester United and Arsenal. Yeah. And as, as much as you can probably look at someone like Awobi as being, yes, younger than the signings that we've made in the past, like Tim Howard and Phil Neville and... Darren Gibson and everyone else from Man United, so there was there was that element of him having something to prove and and you know years to play for in this league. I think for a, for a football team like Everton, who have spoken all season about how cherished and how much of a prize European football at any level is, and how much we'd all crave that first step on that European ladder to then develop into this Europa League or, or Champions League regular. Alex Awobi struck me as a player who has played casual European football at the Emirates for the last few seasons and kind of flitted in and out of it and had occasional nice runouts against Bate Borisov at home and smashed them. And it, it all it all feels a little bit too routine for him. And I think that the, the word I used earlier in, in that hunger, he, he's never struck me as a player who... I'm, I'm not asking people to die for the shirt because football has evolved in recent years to the point where you don't get many of those die characters. God, yeah. <laughs> the, you, you don't get that sense of unity from him. I feel like Everton is so unimportant to him compared to what I think of it as or compared to what I see other players think of it as. And he's not an, he's not an Everton fan. I get that. Um, well, and. Neither is Jordan Pickford, and he played well to in the season. I mean, but but here's the thing I would say about Awobi. To me, Awobi's biggest sin is that at Arsenal, he was not under pressure to have to be great all the time. He could just kind of ride along with it and show up and be good every once in a while. And, you know, you're at Arsenal or whatever. At Everton, because of the, you know, fair or not, because of the fee and everything else, like he needed to come here and be more than he – play a bigger role – have a bigger share of the burden, frankly, than he had at Arsenal. And he just, he can't do it. Like he's, he, he conducts himself in a way and it's not, he doesn't have a bad attitude. That's the thing. He seems like the, he seems like a perfectly nice guy. I think he is fit. I think, you know, all these things, but I just don't get the impression that he feels like he should have to do, carry more of the load just because he's now at Everton versus Arsenal. And I think that that's reflected in his performances just in general. If he, if he was played in his best position, we might think a bit differently about what this. I, yeah, what is – I mean, I don't know. I, there, no played one, at no number 10 for about 10 minutes against Burnley, didn't they? Because as long as Gilbert Sigurdsson is here, and by we haven't even mentioned him yet, I am 
He, he, oh, he, he, I don't think he's been anywhere near almost disappointing. No, right he has his, his his presence in the side. Like he puts up, he's the ultimate empty calories player. And I don't want to make the same Steve Walsh, you know, meaningless goals about Lukaku joke for the millionth time or whatever. But you know, I, I, I he it's a he finds ways to you know, to get numbers and yet not affect anything. And I don't know. I want, we'll get, we have all summer to talk about guilty, especially when he gets his brand new five-year oh, no. contract. They're probably going to fucking give him. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm going to lose my shit at that point. But uh, I want to oh, get boy, to the last question, Matt, really quickly. And, and really this is, this is a question about leadership. And I am of the opinion that I, I, I think the whole, the whole captain uh, discussion is tired at times because it's framed in such a manner that the captain is therefore individually as one person responsible for being the quote leader of everything at the club. And I, I think that that's a, a massive oversimplification of what captaincy is, but I also think that it completely lets others off the hook from the standpoint that teams with effective leadership are not those that have one kick-ass captain. They are, they are a side that, collectively, you know, views their role as needing to set examples for others with their play, with the way they conduct themselves, et cetera. I mean, you'd love to think that everyone in the squad has that mentality, but that's just, that's not the truth, but you've got to have more than one person. So um, the question that I had was, you know, who are the, essentially the, the question I wanted to ask was, you know, the leaders of this team are blank. And for me, I, 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 I think this is an interesting question because it's both praising and damning all at once in that I think that there are there are certainly characters in this team who have stood out to me as those who clearly help to lead. But I also clearly think that they are going to have to continue to do more and continue to, to try to push that culture of accountability at the club. I'm obviously one of the bigger critics of Seamus Coleman and his magical unicorn captaincy bit that that basically is the same cliched recycled lines every time we lose and all these sorts of things. But I will also concede that Seamus Coleman, for any of his limitations, never half asses it out there. I mean, the guy is the guy is absolutely one of those who, as much as I I don't want to hear an interview with him on the club website ever again, <laughs> I do think that when things matter, he does go out there and he puts his body on the line. He he shows demonstratively that he has passion. Um, I think that, and I know this will be an odd thing to say, I think that's probably why, like if anyone asked me, Rob, what's your deal? Why are you so into Yeri Mina so much? I mean, yeah, I love I love him and all his weird dancing and his happiness and joy and all that. But when he gets out there, you know, whatever mistakes he's made over the few, over the time he's been here, I've never ever looked at Yeri Mina performing and thought, well, that guy just kind of, you know, mailed it in today or he gave up on a play. He doesn't ever give up on plays. He works really hard. And I, I need guys like that. And, and obviously he's a big vocal leader at the back. The other one that's really surprised me in a positive way. And I want to continue to see more of it almost like in a, almost in a Rashford sort of way, I guess. But man, I think Calvert-Lewin has turned into quite a leader on this on this team as well, just because he's the one who will, you know, he is stands up and is counted for. And maybe you could say, well, he's scoring. He had a good season, so maybe it's a little easier for him to do that. But, you know, he seems to always be one that, that is front and center in terms of wanting to, 
you know, to, to, to talk and to own it when they haven't played well enough. And, and, uh, you know, he seems to want to bring that, that I think that if you're talking about leading by example, Calvert Lewin to me is the ultimate success story in terms of a self-made man. I mean, he is, he's a gifted athlete, but he has made himself into a very good footballer through sheer determination and hard work. That's the kind of leadership that you frankly need to not only be there, but you need those types of guys to then have an effect on the rest of the squad as well. Matt, I'll start with you really quickly. I know we're, we're running low on time. Um, who are the leaders for you? What do, what more do we need from leadership? Do we need, you know, is it, we, we buy captains every summer. It's become a joke, but uh, you know, I know we need to quote, bring in more leadership or, or what have you, but you know, are, who are the who are the leaders for you, and what what more is needed in terms of of player leadership that goes beyond just the man the tone that the manager sets? Yeah, well, I think you sort of take the words out of your mouth with, with with Dom, really, and you know, it's it's not ju- it's not just like thinking about leadership in that way in which you know you were both speaking about it before in the, the Terry Butcher sense. It's mm-hmm. You know, it's delivering in big games, which he has this season. Scored in the Medside Derby, scored away at Tottenham, scored um, a late goal at Old Trafford. He's scored consistently in the big games for Everton um, down the years. Um, somebody who's worked and had to fight to get where he is. Somebody who's available more often than not in terms of the team as someone you can build around. Um, I think that's important as well, that, that consistency there. Um and yeah, someone who's, who seems to be fully invested in the football club and is, you know, always involved in the, the off the pitch initiative seems to really enjoy and sincerely enjoy doing the initiatives with, with the, the young younger fans and stuff like that. Um so I think I think Dom's definitely developing in, in that sense. Um I don't know I think I think it's a lack of leadership is something that just seems to be when people are pissed off at the way we've performed and we haven't played well, people just sort of lash it in there with everything else and say Oh, and by the way, we haven't got any leaders in this squad as well. You know, there's, there's not enough people in there who, you know, refer back to some of the, the, the great teams. But I don't know, I sort of look at this team and when everyone's on the pitch, you think, you know, I've got people in there who are willing to stand up and, and be counted. You mentioned Seamus Coleman there, Rob Yeri Mina. I think absolutely fits that category when he's when he's in the team. He's very much the vocal presence, at, you know, in the back four or back five or whatever we're playing. Jordan Pickford seems to be developing in that sense as well. He looks like a much more mature, steadier player at the back there. The hair, man. It's all there. Yeah, I, I, think it, wow. I think it is, yeah. Mid, mid, mid to late 80s Wall Street, yeah. uh, you know, uh, tycoon hair that he's got going. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm all for as long as he keeps playing this way. <laughs> I mean, like Alan as well, he's he's somebody sort of of that that mindset. I don't really look at this team and think there's, there's no personality in there and the, the very meek and you know they're not they're not going to shout at referees and, and, and stuff like that. I just was looking at it and think, well, it, it, there's not enough quality in there, and at times they haven't been coached well enough. I don't I don't really look at this and think it's a, it's a leadership issue. Um, you know, I think you know Ben Godfrey's another one. You know, Mason Holgate a year ago we were talking about having those attributes. I think I just think it's when the teams are playing well. I just do feel as though people just sort of bring that up and say that you know we haven't got leaders in there. I think there's a lot of players in there who are made to the right stuff, who have shown good qualities. Tom in regards Davis to some of that. Tom Davis yeah, does, but he, doesn't, he doesn't start enough, probably. But yeah, you know, yeah, you know between the two of us here, we, between the two of us here, we probably named an eleven, haven't we? An eleven of lads. <laughs> yeah. you, you could say they've all got the, the good, good characteristics, and 
You know, Luca Dean's had the armband at times this season, hasn't he? I think yeah. he's he's somebody in that bracket as well. I don't necessarily look at this team and think that there's not enough leadership and there's not not enough personality. Um, I think there's not enough quality, and I think they could do with a bit better coaching as well. Yeah. But I feel as though with that, um, players will be emboldened and players will show more of what they're about. But you're absolutely right. I don't want us to go out and sign leaders in inverted commas. I want to see players like Dominic Carvalhoon, players like Ben Godfrey, players like Jordan Pickford develop into leaders and develop into captains while they're at Everton, not sort of try and import other people's leaders and yeah. plug them into our team. Give me midfielders who can pass and I'll call them leaders if that makes yeah. them yes, feel better. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Uh, Mark, any thoughts on leadership beyond you know the names that we've probably bandied about or, or any additional thoughts in that regard? Uh, Phil Jagielka is not the captain that we need. Think about throughout that whole thing. You know, whenever whenever we break down wolves at home, it was always that Phil Jagielka wasn't the captain that we needed. Yeah, Phil Jagielka didn't shout at the referee every now and then, and that's why we didn't win a trophy. Um, Why aren't we surrounding the ref? We were the one now. Just before we go on, Phil on Twitter suggested that um, Gabamon was probably the most disappointing <laughs> element of the season. I think <laughs> he was terrible, terrible in his eleven minutes on the pitch Look, against Palace. That poor bastard. Did a goal. Yeah, I can, I can totally, um, I can totally see where he's coming from with that. But <laughs> yeah, just to just to round it off from the from the forty-seven players you mentioned, I'd say in terms of styles of leadership. Ben Godfrey, for, for all of the reasons that I suggested earlier on when answering totally the wrong question, he, he is the one for me. Um, a lot of the outfield players that you've mentioned absolutely have that sort of vocality about them. I think the, the, the players who we noticed when we went to the match, who we were probably surprised about in terms of being a vocal presence on the pitch were Yeri, Mina and Alan, because being as fresh to the setup as they were at that time, it was... And it was quite enlightening to see how much of a vocal impact they were having on the squad because it, it is something that you would you would classically assume that they would struggle with or, or kind of take a back foot on. The other type of leadership, I think, is someone who, yes, leads by example, but also I think that the the test of a character is how well someone emerges from adversity. And I think if, if anyone has shown that in... Yes, most of this season, but in particular the latter parts of it. I think you both mentioned Jordan Pickford as being that person who he's he's not always going to be that enormous vocal presence, and th- there are going to be points in the next few seasons every year where he gives you absolute goosebumps whenever the ball goes near him. But <laughs> what he's what he's done in the latter half of this season is he's made himself to the point where we can't really even talk about him. And I think that that's that's the point yeah. where we need it with, with Pickford because it, it's even gotten to the point now where Evertonians are now getting on the back of media outlets saying, why aren't you talking about this guy and, and how good he's been in, in recent weeks? And I think going back a few months, that's exactly the thing that we didn't want. We, did, we didn't want him being spoken about at all because we all wanted this conventional seven or eight out of ten every week goalkeeper. And for the most part of the latter half of the season, he's absolutely been that. Um, at, at times, progressing even beyond that. And so you, you spoke about Calvert-Lewin in terms of showing up in the big games. I mean, you only have to think about that derby match at Anfield to think about how important that performance was yeah. from Pickford 
only for, for Everton in terms of achieving the result, but for him from a personal point of view as well. So I think in terms of, in terms of character and integrity and everything that we speak about in that conventional captain mould, he's certainly someone who, as much as you're never probably going to throw the armband at him, as we've said, we need collective leaders and, and collective strength. Yeah. And he's absolutely shown that in abundance this season. Hey, bonus final question before we wrap up here. If, uh, if England goes on a great run during the Euros, who is under the most threat to uh, – which player is under the most threat to be, uh, to be poached from us, Calvert-Lewin or Pickford? Dom, 100%. Godfrey. Dom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Dom, um, Matt, do you say Dom just because – I mean, obviously, uh, you know I think he's a great player, but do you say Dom just because of the the Harry Kane situation, United looking for a strike? I mean, which I don't understand that, but whatever. Like, what is it just an availability thing or is it that there aren't – you know, there isn't a spot for Pickford somewhere necessarily to go? No, I just, I just think teams will look at him and the goals he scored in what is a very, very blunt attack and side. Um, and the type of goals he scored this season, I think if you put him the pointer in a team that creates a lot of chances, then this lad could go ballistic in terms of the goals he scores. So, yeah. um, I, I, I'm not necessarily worried because I don't think he's going to play that much. If yeah, okay, that's, be. that's what I'm hoping. Like, it's weird how like I love that I want all these guys to get their recognition, and yet somehow, barring Pickford, who's obviously going to play probably every minute, I, I really just don't want them to yeah. play too much. I don't want Godfrey to make the team. I want him to have a summer off. I, I really, I worry about that kind of stuff. I, we we got to have we got to have some decent luck with uh, injuries, and hoping uh, Hamas and Yerimino also come back uh, in decent shape as well. Um, <laughs> The ideal situation in in the balance of not wanting them to do too well and them getting rested is for Dom to come on in the 119th minute of extra time to take a penalty in the shootout in the final <laughs> and for him to score his penalty or score the winning penalty. And then we can all buzz off him and say how great he is and say how well he stroked that penalty into the corner. Um but in the same breath, he's not actually played that much forty, so no one's going to be thinking. Actually, we should try and sign him. <laughs> yeah, Mark, do you? Did I forgot how you answered that one? Did you say Pickford or uh, Calvert Lewin? Um, yeah, Calvert Lewin. Uh, I think that there's, there's enough teams around looking for a striker, and I think in terms of in terms of area of the pitch where it's hard to go out and pick players off the shelf, number nine is is absolutely the one. Yeah. Um, Lukaku's availability potentially saves us a little bit because oh, you yeah. imagine that. Teams There'll be teams sniffing around him. He's back to Chelsea, surely, isn't he? Isn't that that kind of the obvious? But in in terms of in terms of what we want from our England players going into the summer, it's quite frankly to get knocked out as quick as possible and get them all home. Um, If it's praise they want, I'll give them all they want next season if they perform. But um, the the quicker that our lads are not involved in international football, in my eyes, the better. Yeah. Well, hey, just uh, I I will be I'll be doing the dirty work of staying up late at night and uh, watching Copa America so that you guys don't have to. And I'll uh, I'll be texting you furiously if uh, anything happens to Richard. It's on the BBC, Rob. So it'll be easy for us to stay up and watch it as well. Is it not on the is it is it on the BBC Copa America? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. So free, free to air. So. Oh, well, I mainly just meant because it's going to, the time zone change was just going to be such that you probably weren't going to stay up late and watch. It. Oh, we have no lives. Don't <laughs> <It is> the <laughs> summer. Well, guys, this has just been a a delightful, uh, despite the subject matter, a delightful football discussion, a real hearty football discussion. I love it. Thanks again to Matt Jones for joining me, Mark. Uh, I loved having the ambient sounds of the birds that that people are going to hear on this recording because you were recording very soothing. Very soothing. Very soothing. I'm a big fan. 
fan of, of, of ambient porch sounds or backyard sounds. So, well, guys, uh, obviously, we will continue uh, during the closed season, the off season, as I like to call it, uh, have tons of content for you guys. Uh, Matt doesn't ever mention that the kickabout is coming on any of his pods, but I'm going to mention <laughs> that he does have uh, plenty of good stuff that has just come out. The Subscribers Weekly with Dave and Patty. Matt, by the way, was great. I love when the three of you guys get together for a conversation. Um, we do have the weekly that just came out. You and Deasha, and who was the third on that one this week? Adam Jones. Adam and Jones. Just clarify, I did mention that we are kick about on Blue Room Breakfast this morning. Oh, okay. So. Well, thank you very much. I do. I am a daily Blue Room Breakfast listener because I love listening to Just Out of Bed Matt Jones. It's somehow very soothing because I can tell he's trying to be a little bit quiet, you know, maybe because if Chelsea's there or not, I'm not totally sure. I don't want to wake people up, yeah. I don't want to wake Absolutely. anyone up. Just such a soothing voice. I love it. Well, guys, uh, it's been great. We'll see you again next time for more Kickabout. Take care. It used to be hard to find the exact auto parts you needed, and that meant spending a lot of time at swap meets. It's a different game now when you can order exactly what you need from eBay Motors. They have 122 million parts, so you can always find the right fitment. Spend less time searching and more time building with the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.